Hi, welcome to another episode of Broadway Brains. Today we had Dana Steingold, who plays Girl Scout and is the understudy of Lydia and Beetlejuice. So let's get into it. Nice to I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. Nice to meet you, Lucy. Nice to meet you, too. Um, so I have some questions, and you can do whatever you want with them. So my first question is, what inspired you to get into theater and singing? Um, so I actually was kind of a precocious kid, believe it or not, and pretty rambunctious. And I started singing really early, but not in a way that my parents thought anything of it or that I had any real talent. They were just like, oh my gosh, this little girl will not stop singing. She won't shut up. <laughs> um, and I would just sort of like go down the grocery store aisle singing and um, kind of performing naturally for anybody who would listen or watch. and. At my seventh birthday party, a friend of mine said, oh, you know what I'm doing tomorrow? I'm going to audition for a local production of The King and I. Why don't you come? And I begged my mom to let me go. And my mom was like, I don't know what she's going to do. Like, what will she sing? Um, And I said, don't worry. Like, I've got this. I have something prepared. And my mom said, are you sure? And I said, yes, I don't need your help. And I sang part of your role from The Little Mermaid. And I ended up getting it. Uh, and that was my very first musical. Uh, and it was a lo- just a you know local production of the Jewish Community Center. But the first night we opened and I heard people clapping for me, I was hooked. That was it. And then it just sort of took a natural progression from there. I continued to do community theater. And eventually I found my way to a summer camp called Stage Door Manor in the Catskills. I don't know if you've heard of that, but... I think I actually have. Yeah. So it's a pretty cool theater camp and I kind of got there and it was the first time I had ever been with other kids who were as passionate about musical theater as I was. And I sort of felt like, oh my gosh, this is where I belong. And then I applied to college for musical theater and I kind of never looked back. So I can't say that I ever had a moment where I made a decision, but I also don't remember not making that decision, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah, it was like kind of just like natural for you. Just, yeah, totally natural. I never thought about doing anything else. It just was always in my heart what I wanted to do, which you'll hear different opinions, but I think it kind of has to be that way because the business is really difficult and can be very challenging. So you have to really do it because you love it. Yeah, so after college, how was your like path to becoming a Broadway performer? So uh, it was up and down. I got super lucky right after college. I, I actually left my graduation early to go to my final callback for, I don't know if you know the show, the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Oh yeah, my school's put that on for like... Oh really? Yeah, it's a pretty great show, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... I remember seeing that. I was a senior, I think, in college, and I saw it and I thought, oh my gosh, like this is a show I can be in. I know exactly how to do this. And the auditions came around and um, I auditioned and I ended up leaving my graduation for the final callback and I ended up getting that job. So it was my first big audition. 
and I don't think it anything had much to do with me. I was very right for it um, mm-hmm. in hindsight, and I could not believe it when I got the call saying I was going on tour, um, and that was my first professional job. And while I was on tour with that, I booked my first Broadway show, which was supposed to be Godspell, mm-hmm. and the original one that got canceled, which was in 2007, I believe. And that got canceled two weeks before. Uh, And then I just sort of said, I hit the ground running. And that's why I say you have to be kind of committed to the business and really love it because some of the lows can be pretty low. Um, But I've always been somebody who sort of lets myself be upset for a limited amount of time. And then I try to move forward and figure out like, how I'm supposed to use that challenge and how I turn the word no into like, not this time, which is usually what it really means. Um, yeah. And then I just kind of kept doing regional theater and tours and workshops and readings and sort of found my way around the business and worked with really great people. But yeah, it's challenging. It's sort of, um, you have so many ups, so many downs, so many successes, so many losses. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a, that's a long way of saying <laughs> it's an up and down road, but I'm very glad to be where I am. <laughs> um, kind of adding on to like the down part of that, ever in like your path did you like hit a dry spell or like a brick wall? Sure, I think you'll be hard pressed to find anyone you speak with who hasn't had a point in their career where everything sort of stalls and you think, okay, what next? Um, What can I do to improve myself? Why haven't I booked something? But I think I always say it's like a small miracle when you do get a job because so many people in a room have to agree and say yes. And that's actually more challenging than you'd think. And so often it it really, they say it all the time and they tell you in school, but it really is true. It's so not personal, especially at a certain level. Anybody is capable of doing the job, but there are so many factors of like height, weight, blonde, brunette, you know, how tall your co-star is. So many things, like so many puzzle pieces have to fit. So I've always sort of lived by the mantra and I did not come by this easily. I really had to work towards it of figuring out how to say like, okay, this was not meant to be in my life, clearly. That's sad and I I will mourn that, but the only way forward is through. So I just have always been, I have to keep that positive attitude and move forward to the next thing and really let things go and believe they weren't meant to be in my life. Cause I think we've all had jobs we really wanted or jobs that we did out of town and we didn't get to come into town with it and stuff like that and that's always challenging but then ultimately the right person always does get the job I think and um yeah but it takes a lot of I think work on yourself and a lot of mental health work and surrounding yourself with really good people who support you and raise you up and challenge you and don't let you get away with like whining about stuff. (laughs) Yeah, cause in my school, like they definitely say that a lot. Like we actually had like an audition thing this year and they were like, if you don't get it, like it's totally not personal. And it's very important for like mental health to like make sure you're like happy and all that stuff. Cause sometimes acting can be very emotionally challenging. 
It's so hard because I think your teachers are right. It's totally not personal. And what's so interesting is everybody has their own special package of gifts and your package doesn't necessarily fit what they're looking for in that specific moment, but you never know. Like I've gotten so many other jobs from jobs I didn't get just because somebody was like, oh, we loved her, but she wasn't quite right for this. Or, you know, or, oh, you know what? I'm gonna pass her name on for this project because I think she's really right for that. So I think it's important, like even in high school theater and middle school theater, in college, and then in your professional life, if you choose to do that, uh, to just sort of remember that you have your own package of gifts and you can only be you. You can never be somebody else. And people are always like, oh, she's so much like so-and-so. But in reality, like, I'm my own person and so are you, you know? So we can only do what we can do. And the jobs we don't get don't matter. Yeah, and I actually had a question adding on to that. Because, like, there's, like, such a thing as, like, an acting type or, like, typecasting. Like, how does that, like, apply in the Broadway world or the professional world, really? Sure. Well, I think the way it applies is that I think people want to get to know you and the quickest way to get to know you when you're brand new is to say, oh, she's this kind of type, which in the business means, you know, oh, she's a beautiful soprano who's a great actress. So she's a Laura Benanti type or, oh, she's a really great, um, funny character actress she's she's kind of a Jen Samard type you know or so people put you in a box and for me I guess because I'm tiny and um have a high speaking voice people would say oh she's like a Kristen Chenoweth type or a Jen Cody type if you know who Jen is she's amazing she's been many many shows she's a dancer though much better dancer than I um you know and so I think it does help people get to sort of know you but then I think you have to remember that within that type there's 14 variations like there's 14 girls who they bring in who are of that quote-unquote type but everyone brings their own version of that type you know so I think it's it does help you in the beginning because it helps sort of navigate you and tell you which roles you should be going in for. But then I think once you get to know yourself and you grow into yourself as an actor, you can sort of say, I think I'm ready to push to do something that's outside of what's expected of me. And I think that's true probably in in school theater too. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get tight or whatnot, <laughs> but I'm sure also you're like, no, I want to audition for this role. Yeah. And because people can also, adding on to that variation type, like if you watch someone do an audition, like for the same song, I once had to watch an audition of for different songs. And it was so cool because you could see how like they were all like the same song, actually. But like they were so different in a way that it really amazed me. It's amazing. It's also... Um, it's why acting is so awesome because one song can be done 25 different, actually like a thousand different ways. And I think it's why understudying is so fun uh, because you get to um, make make your own way through a role with the blueprint of what somebody else made. 
but then it's so fun when you're on with understudies because it changes up what you do because <laughs> they can possibly be the other person. So it's just, it's super enjoyable. It's why I love watching different people play roles. It's so interesting to me. I love that you notice that at your full edition. That's really astute. Yeah. And kind of adding on to that understudy thing, how is it like having already a role there, but then also playing an understudy in Beetlejuice? That's a really good question. Um, it can be challenging. Uh, usually when you're an offstage swing, you get to actually take the time to see the show from the outside, see how it's changing. You get to sort of follow people around backstage and see the tracking. And because I'm in the show, I wasn't able to do that before I went on for the first time. Uh, and even Presley, like she's, she was within the show, but she was only in the one number. Mm-hmm. So for the, she's on Inquire, so I guess the two numbers. So she has a lot of the show to really watch, but because of how our tracks are, it, it doesn't really work that way for the other internal covers. Um, so it's challenging. You have to do a lot of the work kind of on the outside, but we have an amazing stage management team, really great um directors, associate directors, conductor, everybody who's super supportive of us and really encouraging of all of us to do our own thing. And, um, you know, we take, we also take a lot of responsibility on ourselves. Like we do a lot of work on our own and they gave us a lot of tools like videos that we were able to look at, to compare. And then we have understudy rehearsal once or twice a week. And that's where you get to do things on your feet. For the understudy rehearsals, and do you guys have like certain understudy shows that like are put to to be understudies or is it kind of just like? Do you mean when we actually go on in the show? Like, is it scheduled or not? No, like, are there, I know like sometimes if the character doesn't show up like for a character, then the understudy has, like if they're sick, then the understudy goes in. But is there other times where it's like scheduled for the understudy to go on? Sure. Um, vacations are you are always scheduled. So, uh, for example, if um, Sophia was on vacation, they would tell us in advance that Presley and I were splitting the week, and you know, one of us would do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and somebody else would do Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and same if someone you know is doing a concert or um, we have things called personal days and you can put those in for when you book a TV show and you're filming for a couple days or you someone unfortunately you have a family emergency those kinds of things so those are usually scheduled and uh, we find out about that and then there are of course last minute surprises that are uh, always exciting (laughs) (laughs) um Is there, what do you think is like the most challenging part of either like being in Beetlejuice or like just being a professional musical theater person? I think the most challenging part of being an actor is the mental health aspect of it and the um, challenge of staying positive and believing in yourself because there's always somebody kind of um, beating down the door for another job. And I think it's the challenge of staying true to who you are. Like I consider myself like a supportive person and a, and a kind person. And um, 
I think keeping that about you is the challenge, like throughout a process when things get tough, like to stay calm, stay cool, stay collected, stay mentally well so that you can treat others with kindness and, um, and understanding because not everybody deals with pressure in the same way. And some people have anxiety and some people get sad and some people take things really personally. So I think it's really the challenge of, uh, for me is trying to stay as truthful to who I am, which is to be a sounding board for other people. And, um, I'm sort of like a natural, not like nurturer, I guess, but like, I don't know. I just, I really value my friendship. So I think that is one of the harder parts of being an actor is staying as supportive of your friends and also supporting yourself at the same time. And the most challenging part of being in Beetlejuice, such a good question, is probably just the schedule. The eight shows a week is always challenging and that's true of any show, just being in a show uh, and staying healthy and vocally healthy and um, getting enough sleep and all, <laughs> all of those things. and. There are times where that gets really challenging, like when you're in a big push for the Tonys or opening and you're doing press and um, you're having rehearsal and then doing the show at night. So I think that can be challenging, but I think it's all about balancing what you know you need for yourself and carving out private time too. <laughs> yeah, and you also open act two. And I open act mm-hmm. two, which oh, it is, that's actually also a challenge because it's also, it's a fun challenge though, just because I get like 30 seconds to get everybody on my side and I'm a character nobody has ever seen before. And they're like, why is she here? Why are we seeing this girl? It's unlike everything else in the show, tonally a little bit, you know, and musically. But um, I've always found that to be really fun. And I usually try to listen to the audience throughout the first act to kind of feel out what kind of audience we have energy wise, because I don't have a ton of time to assess once I'm on stage. It's like being shot out of a cannon, but it's super fun. So it's a, that's a positive challenge. <laughs> um, you were saying about how like you have to zone out like the audience's like mood or whatever. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that and what does it like, how do you do it? And like, what does it mean about? Well, I would say that you know, specifically in a comedy, comedy is very musical. It has a rhythm to it. So you can actually kind of mathematically break that down. And you can tell right away from the first uh, few jokes in the show, like how the audience is. You're like, oh, okay, they're a conservative crowd. They didn't laugh at that. Oh, they're an easy crowd. Like they love everything. They're super loud. And sometimes super loud can also be people responding strangely, you know, like not necessarily an appropriate loudness. <laughs> so there are, I, I always say in a show, I find that there are a couple like key moments and key jokes I listen for and I decide differently in every show that I think are usually pretty good barometers or like a pretty good temperature taker, if you will, for the room. But yeah, comedy definitely has a rhythm. And so when things stop landing, you can actually kind of figure out why. And you can figure out how to adjust toward the audience you're working with, which is why live theater is so, so cool. Because no show is really the same because of that. The audience is like the little factor that changes. And I think uh, Alex Brightman, obviously, and or Will, whomever was playing Beetlejuice, has the brunt of that task because he has like 17 jokes every second. So he has to do more math than I do. 
if you will. Um, kind of circling on funny things, do you have any like funny mishaps that's ever happened to you? Oh goodness, yes. <laughs> um, specifically in Beetlejuice or anytime? Anytime. Mm-hmm. So let me think. Well, a few, many things have happened in Beetlejuice. I've fallen up the stairs uh, <laughs> and given myself a really nasty bruise. We also use umbrellas in the opening number, mm-hmm. and they are very tricky props, and they sometimes get stuck, and they don't open, and we have lace costumes and gloves on, so this, the little spokes would get caught all the time, and everybody else's umbrellas would go up, and like one person, it's it's happened to all of us, <laughs> you put it open, and we were like, oh no, oh no, <laughs> and it's the most awful moment, and you're sure everyone's like, you, and then nobody can stop laughing. Um, sometimes they get stuck open. I also, in the very beginning of the show, the Maitland's house tracks forward and exit from the opening stage left and I get my wig off and because my skirt is really tight and I have to climb four flights of stairs to go back up to change, I take my skirt off and then I walk behind the house. The door gets shut by, um, was getting shut by Rob and it didn't shut all the way. It like rebounded and opened and I was just standing there with just tights. <laughs> no wig, just a wig gap. <laughs> like the neighbor just running through with <laughs> um, So that happened at a, at a matinee. And oh my goodness, I'm trying to think what else crazy things. Leslie did Miss Argentina with one shoe one time. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was actually pretty miraculous, like really amazing. We've listened to people make up lyrics on the spot, um, all kinds of crazy things. And when I was doing Spelling Bee, we used to get, we had audience uh, volunteers and participants. Mm-hmm. So often things would go wrong with them. <laughs> like they were a little crazy or they would spell the word. They would get really nervous. So they would spell the thing that was like the easy word, like it was cow, clearly <laughs> Cow and someone said C A W. We were all like, "Oh no! What are we doing?" We had no scores left. It was terrible. <laughs> so, like, for the show, do you have to have like some aspect of like being able to improvise at times? Oh yeah, I think as an actor, you kind of always had that in the back of your like mind because. <laughs> You don't expect things to go wrong, but something will at some point. But also, like, I will be totally honest with you, when things do go wrong like that, it is often the funniest thing in the world, and you can't recover. Like, you can't even think fast enough because you're too busy laughing because we all like each other so much, and you're having fun. So I call that the twinkle, when you can see somebody start to go, and they get that little twinkle in their eye. You know, when you see your friend, you're like, oh, they're going to start cracking up. Like, they cannot handle the joke I just told. And sometimes it's like the littlest things, depending on your focus that day, that can set you into just a laughing fit and you can't, you can't recover. So. Yeah, in the school play that I did this year, there was this part and it's kind it's this auction scene and it's like interactive with the audience a little and they can bid on the auction. And then, cause it was a school, so like the, like the people kind of know each other. And then so, um, the auctioneer made this really funny joke and th- that group that they made the joke on started laughing and it kind of made us laugh because we knew who they are and then we kind of knew like the inside joke kind of so that was really funny yes exactly and sometimes 
like have you ever been in a show and somebody just said something silly to you <laughs> on stage that you knew that like as themselves not even the character so people do that on broadway too i don't mean to like burst any bubbles but there are days where we're feeling like cheekier than normal or funny <laughs> as ourselves about something and that is enough to make us all lose it especially at like a Sunday matinee we all have the giggles because it's like the last show of the week yeah um for us like tech is usually the part the days that where we like really fall apart because we have to like wake up early and stay up late and we're all just like hi I know tech is a tough process all the way around <laughs> yeah, and I feel like especially for Beetlejuice because there's so much stuff like moving in and the changing scenes. Yeah, there were scenes that took a few days. Like I think we spent probably like two and a half, three days doing just the dinner party. Um, and they, you know, there are certain things that just take a long time. I think we spent a day and each musical number probably takes about a day and a half to two days to do, mm-hmm. depending on how many cues. But in Beetlejuice, that's a lot of cues. So like beautiful sound took a long time and um, the opening took a while. Certain things are quicker, mm-hmm. like solos can be done, you know, sometimes that's like four or five hours. Creepy Old Guy took a really long time because there's costume changes lots of stuff happening so that was that one took a few days <laughs> um in the dinner party you um you know how Lydia has her like yellow dress for your costumes does like each of the understudies have like different costumes or do you guys like share a costume and adjust it when it's your turn no we all have different costumes um and you can actually see William Ivy Long is so cool our costume designer and so brilliant that you'll see there's differences um, for each of us, just based on who we are. So our Lydia dresses are all different. Um, you'll notice like Presley, uh, Sophia and I both have polka dot sleeves. Presley's is, is not polka dots. Um, mine has a different ruffle. Like each of us has our own little cameo. Everything's a little <laughs> bit different. The wedding dresses are also kind of like that. The the yellow dress, I would say, is the most uniform of all of them, but the only piece we share is there's a pinafore at the very end that goes over the Lydia, the major Lydia, the basic Lydia dress with the pins that she wears just in Shake Sonora uh, at the end, and that's just a little, like, jumper that ties mm-hmm. in the back, so we sh- the three of us shared that, but that's the only piece we shared, other than, like, head pieces, and we all wear wigs and stuff, too, because that's... Um, also part of Broadway's just like the rules of the union you have to have different stuff yeah and it's also kind of a little more hygienic at times it's also hygienic yes <laughs> given the world we're living in for sure everybody <laughs> will have separate things from now on <laughs> but yeah um kind of like how everyone has their little cameo are there any like like maybe like one secret you can share about something that's like a hidden clue in Beetlejuice ooh that's a good question. Well, I can tell you, let me think. The first thing I can tell you is that there are all kinds of little Easter eggs in the set, especially in the attic, which I don't think you can see from the audience, but there's little photos and stuff. They're all over the set and there are people who've been a part of the show. Um, so there's like our magic supervisor and like they made them all into like old timey photos for the attic, but they're all hidden within the set. So that's really fun. And I'm trying to think what else we have. There's definitely like old 
like things that got cut in either DC or previews, like props and costume pieces that are still living with us. So the best one is there used to be a giant panda head in the dinner party. And it also used to chase me around during Beautiful Sound. And it's like a life-size panda head. And it's like bloody, so weird. I don't know why it was there. It was so funny for it to me. Um, and it got cut, but it now lives at the Winter Garden. When you're coming down the last flight of stairs to go to the stage, there's like a shelf and we put it on the shelf. And everybody like, before we do the show, we like kiss it. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I mean, or we touch it. Like, it's just this weird thing. We all touch it. It's like good luck. And if we don't do it, it's like this weird superstitious thing to not touch the bloody panda head. <laughs> no, it's super weird. Beetlejuice is a weird place. <laughs> um, what do you think is your favorite song from Beetlejuice or like songs? Uh, I get asked this a lot. So I think if I had to choose my favorite song, I would say it's Say My Name because I think it's so catchy so written the lyrics are so smart and it's the first time you get to see Beetlejuice and Lydia and really the only time you get to see them together and their whole relationship develops in those five minutes together and I just think Eddie did a really really great job of that development in quick and weird and smart lyrics um and that's really, when you think about it, that's the only time you see them develop their friendship and their rivalry at the same time. Uh, and then I think to perform, my favorite song is probably Home because it's the pinnacle of Lydia's journey and it's sort of that time where you get to watch her realize that she can still love her mom and remember her mom, but also move forward with her life. And I think that's really beautiful to watch from an audience perspective of watching a child be able to grieve and then become mature enough to realize that she can still continue to grow. It's like really, really touching and cool. I could never have imagined when I started working on the show five years ago that that would be the audience response. And it's really been the coolest part of the whole thing for me. Um, What I liked, or maybe like, understood with Lydia's like adventure is like her dad kind of like underestimates her or is like she's so childlike at times and like I can feel sometimes where like people like don't think you're mature enough or something just because like you're younger. Yes I think that's so smart of you to have picked up on. I I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and I think when you really break down what the like what Lydia's journey is and why people connect to it. I think it's that we've all felt unseen at some point in our life, right? Like we've all had moments in school or with a friend or a parent or something where we've all felt like, why don't you understand what I'm saying? Like, why don't you, why don't you hear me? Why don't you see me? And I think that's what's so brilliant is that that's basically Lydia's journey is that she's, not only is she unseen, but you kind of realize in home, actually, in that scene between her and her dad, that she's really been the more mature person. She's been the parent. He's been unwilling to talk about it because he didn't know how to talk about it with his daughter. So really, she's he's kind of been a child the entire time, and she's been the leader. And yeah, totally, he's underestimated her capability of dealing with it. Yeah, and she's also, like, found, she's, like, tried to find other options to deal with it. Like, 
but she at first like she didn't want to call Beetlejuice because she was like you're gonna kill my dad like I don't really want that but but then like I feel like everyone has a point where they you know they're like okay and because like her dad was being all like really weird like I felt that so I it kind of like pushed her over the edge yes I think you're totally right Lucy I think we all have well I guess what I would call that that three Beetlejuice moment mm-hmm. where we have to pull out all the stops and like we have to say Beetlejuice's name three times because if you don't you don't know what else to do you'll like literally burst <laughs> you know? and I think we've all had that moment but that's what I think is so cool about the show is that it's it not only discusses that but it also is sort of like a celebration of being weird and strange and unusual and different and quirky and it's kind of a show that is about all these people who don't belong and don't belong together and somehow form a family and I think that's kind of also what our fan base has done which is super super cool like the amount of people I met at the stage door who met because of Beetlejuice and through Beetlejuice and then met for the first time ever at Beetlejuice in cosplay was so awesome and honestly like really really touching and cool I could never have imagined when I started working on this show five years ago that that would be the audience response and it's really been the coolest part of the whole thing for me oh well thank you so much our time kind of went a little bit over and (laughs) oh well thank you so much our time kind of went a little bit over and (laughs) um you're healthy and your family's healthy yeah and i hope yours is too i can't wait to thank you so much well one thing i want to say how's charlie doing oh my gosh thank you for asking he's just having the best time in quarantine because he is getting so much attention (laughs) and i think he's really i think dogs are really winning the quarantine like everybody else is not enjoying 2020 but the dogs of the world are having a great time they're getting tons of walks so much love the owners never leave them. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's doing great. I appreciate you asking. 